Are we giving something away this morning? Yeah, it's so good to see all of you today. Um, summertime in church ministry is always an interesting time as, you know, we're traveling and got things going on, but boy, it's so good to see you here this morning. Um, just thankful for the opportunity to worship together, and not only to worship together, but to worship our good and faithful God. Um, I pray that you've been blessed by our worship time. Uh, I appreciate every week uh, the ministry of music that we have here with our worship team. Uh, and Brian, as he leads and puts the uh, music together for us, there's always a theme to encourage us. And I, I think it's been clear that uh, this morning's theme was to sing the goodness of God. Um, and, and that's a theme that we're, we're going to find ourselves in in the, uh, in the book of Second Samuel as we continue David's life. And so I just want you to be resting on that theme of the goodness of God as we look at God's word this morning. Um, one of the things that I've appreciated about our study with David is just how unmistakably human he is. Now, that shouldn't surprise me because David is human. Like, I, I didn't think he was, you know, an extraterrestrial creature of some sort or that he was so special and unique that he was different and, and God zeroed in on this different person. No, he's like us. I mean, he has a sin nature like us. Uh, one of the things, though, that was a great encouragement and has been is that he was a man who loved God deeply, and yet he was far from perfect. Now, I don't say that so that we can settle for less than perfection, meaning let's just keep doing what we're doing and, and not care or not have a concern for God's holiness in our lives, God's faithfulness working through us as he sanctifies us. But what I'm saying is as we press on in, in the glory of God, that there's this wonderful reminder that God is faithful to those who love him. Because if we're all honest deep down, we know that we are all far from perfect. And yet we have a God who loves us and forgives us and accepts us as his children. David's life is really a reflection of the faithfulness of God. The Lord will never turn his back on his children. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. But the Lord will never turn his back. On his children. To those who have trusted in his son. Who have received by faith the gift of salvation. God promises to never leave nor forsake us. At Thursday evening, um, I watched the Angela started watching and then she went to bed. But we st we watched a movie uh, called Cinderella Man. If you've never seen Cinderella Man, uh, it's from the early 2000s. Um, I, I would encourage you to watch it. It's a biographical pick set in the 1930s following a boxer, James J. Braddock. Uh, after ascending through the ranks, Braddock hit a number of roadblocks in his life 
and his career derailed and and he found himself in in the midst of the Great Depression, um, not having really any work, any income. And he was scavenging for for food. He was working at the docks, something that he wasn't doing in the prime of his career, all to make some money to be able to supply the needs for his family. It got so bad at one point. He had to send his children out to live with other family because they couldn't make ends meet. The, the movie chronicles his never give up spirit. Um, he continued to work hard. He never gave up. He began to box again and he made his way up through the rankings rather quickly. And the end of the movie focuses on this this bout that he is in with the present champion, Max Bear. And if you don't know who Max Bear is, you might know who his son is. Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, and, and so that this is a real life story. And his dad was a boxer. And some of you are like, who are the Beverly Hillbillies? YouTube it when you go home. Um, but anyways, uh, Braddock wins in a uh, unanimous decision after 15 rounds against the champion. And the story of his life reflects the resiliency of the human heart. Facing seemingly insurmountable troubles, he continues to press forward. And he did not give in to his circumstances. Uh, Now, his story in some ways, and I say in some ways, reminds me of David. In that David had a life of great success and great failure. But David kept pressing forward. David kept believing God. David kept trusting God, even when his circumstances said otherwise. Church, we need these reminders of a man who loved God and kept loving God, even when the circumstances say otherwise. God is not faithful only because life is good for us. God is not only loving and cares for us only when everything seems to be going right on our account. God is faithful and loving and true because that's who he is. And it's not based on our circumstances, our situations, our trials. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We live in an age of easy believism. Where people will only believe God if everything works out great in their favor. They'll go to God and have these crisis moments and think, okay, I prayed about it. There's an answer. It worked out in my favor, so I'll believe. Or they go to God thinking he's some kind of magical genie in a bottle. And if I pray a certain number of prayers and I do a certain number of spiritual things, that everything will work out in my favor. But the moment that troubles come, the moment that trials hit, they abandon God and blame him for their misfortune. David didn't do that. Brothers and sisters, the Lord cares for you so much that in his providence, God promises to make sense of your mistakes, misfortunes, trials, and tribulations. 
God doesn't waste opportunities to perfect Christ in you. In fact, his promise is for good. Right? We all know, or at least many of you have heard Romans 8, 28. For God causes to work all things together for good for those who love him. That if you were to think through your life, even to this point, your deepest valley, your biggest heartache, the struggle, the prayer that never went answered, God has promised good in those moments. And he uses those moments to train you up and to mold you and shape you into the image of his son. And I would guarantee that if we had the time today to go around this room and for you to share God's faithfulness in those deep valleys, all of us would be able to say that while those moments were painful and hurt, we would not trade them in for a second as a result of what God was doing in our hearts to make us more like his son. God's promise is for good in the midst of adversity, joy in suffering, victory in the deepest tests of life. But we need to keep our eyes on him. We need to continue to trust him. We need to continue to believe that Who God is on the mountaintop is who he is in the valley. And if I could sing, I would sing that song for you, but I can't. But David had that trust. And so I pray that we can learn from his example. That we can continue to trust God even when we're hurting. And that we can sing a song of praise even when it seems like there's nothing to praise God for. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 22. We're continuing our look into David's life, and really, uh, we're we're beginning to wrap things up. We're going to look at 2 Samuel 22 this week, and then next week, uh, we're going to finish our study in David's life that we began, I think, in January. Um. But we're going to look at, in 2 Samuel 22, one of the final songs that David sung. It's likely the last song that he shared uh, nationally within the framework of Israel as king. It's a song that was written in a season of David's life when there was great turmoil. What's also interesting is that this song in 2 Samuel 22 is the same song. It's identical to Psalm 18. What's interesting about that is so precious is the counsel that the Hebrews identified found in this psalm that they they recorded it and included it in their songbook of praise that they would sing to the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 22 says this, And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now you might be thinking, if you've been with us for a while looking at David's life, I thought Saul was 1 Samuel. Like, why are we at the end of 2 Samuel being reminded again of Saul? And and so what we need to understand is that the narrator of 
Second Samuel is writing a chronology of David's life, not every moment of everything, but he's writing the high points to drive home the point of God's covenantal faithfulness to David, that David is the true king and that through this king, God made some promises that are eternal. In fact, the next song that we hear in Second Samuel 23, it's like seven verses long. It's all about God's promises to David to establish his throne. And it's not David's throne alone that is established, but it's through David's lineage that we find the true king, Jesus. But here in Second Samuel 22, the narrator of David's life includes this moment to kind of wrap things up, to kind of give us a summary statement of what guided David throughout his days. We read in chapter 21 of 2 Samuel that there were some things going on in David's life as king that were not very pleasant. In verse 1 of chapter 21, it says that there was a three-year famine going on in Israel at the time that David sung these words. If you read through chapter 21, you read that David was continually at battle with several groups of people that were Israel's enemies. And and chapter 21 concludes with David at war again with his old enemies, the Philistines. And chapter 21 concludes with the last verse saying that by David's hand and his servant's hand, they killed four giants, like Goliath-sized giants from Gath. That's where Goliath was from. And so there was at least four more of these giants in the land that were causing problems for David as king in Israel. So all of these things are going on in David's life. And we read that David spoke the words of the song to the Lord. Right. This is this is a song that he sang to the Lord. He didn't sing it to his court. He did not sing it to the nation of Israel. But much like what we do on Sunday mornings when we gather, we lift up our voices to God. Right? We're not singing to the worship team. We're singing to Jesus. And where are our hearts and what's going on in our hearts and what are we saying? Because I would say this, no matter what your circumstances are when you came into this place, Every person is singing a song with their life. It's either a song of confident trust and praise, or it's a song like, uh, I'm sorry if I offend someone here, but like a country music song where everything's going wrong and it's terrible and we're just going to cry about it and there, you know, there's no hope. You know, it's not that kind of thing, right? But all of us are singing a song. What is our song? What are we declaring? What do we believe to be true? And this is what David says. It's in the midst of these circumstances. And what's interesting about this, because if this song is one of the last songs that David sung, which I believe is possible. What we begin to realize is that David really had no golden years in his life. David only lived to be 70 years old when he died. And this song might have been sung with basically a couple years left in his life. And when you finish 2 Samuel, and we're not going to get into the details, but the end of 2 Samuel was super strange. 
Like there's more trouble that comes. David numbers his people. Almost to like find his confidence in his, the size of his army. And God judges him for it. And then the book ends with God telling David, buy a piece of land and make an altar there. And that's it. But that's not the end of David's story because in 1 Kings, when we pick up the narrative, the first two chapters is David basically handing off the reins of his throne to his son Solomon. And it doesn't go super easy. There's a lot of infighting in David's family. There's a lot of posturing of who's going to be the next king. In fact, Bathsheba comes to David and says, you need to make Solomon king. And part of the advice that David gives his son who will resume the th- or presume the throne in his absence is that, Solomon, you need to deal with the enemies that were in my life before you take the throne. And it's kind of like that scene in The Godfather when Michael Corleone takes over for his dad. Like, everyone that's a troublemaker is wiped out. It's that kind of thing. There has been a lot of trial and struggle and, and fighting in David's life. He did not have the opportunity to kind of just sail off into the sunset and retire and say, boy, everything is just going to be great for the next season of my life. But he continued to trust God. He sung a song of praise to the Lord. And isn't that the testimony of Scripture, to praise God in the midst of the storm? To, as Job did, listen to the testimony of God in the midst of his suffering, and as a result, be able to praise Him, because God is a God of power and faithfulness. And as you read Scripture, you see again and again, not that life is easy for those who walk with God, but that those who walk with God sing a song of confident trust, even when the circumstances of life beat against them. Like That's the testimony of Scripture. Not that God figures it all out for you, and you just like, you walk into this, this amazing, easy life. The Christian life is not easy. It's a trial. It's marked with suffering. But Jesus said that the servant is not greater than the master. And if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. But take heart because Jesus overcame the world. David was able to to trust God in the midst of his suffering. And so what I'd like to do, because this song is, I think, 51 verses long. We're not going to look at every verse. And what I'd like to do, though, is look at the themes of the song. I I see there's four main themes in 2 Samuel 22. The first is that the Lord is our safe place. Now, this would cover the bulk of the psalm. It brings us through, I think, at least verse 20. But we really see the heart that David had. And what I want you to see with these themes that that are going to show up, like these are 
this is the foundation of David's faith. This is what he knows to be true. That in the midst of trials, in the midst of war, in the midst of backstabbing, in the midst of a son who betrayed him and tried to ascend to the throne and chase him out of the country that he was king of and wanted to bring an end to his life, like those kind of circumstances, those kind of situations, these things are the things that David rested in. Like David slept well when he placed his trust in what he knew to be true about God. And the first thing is that God is our safe place. He's our only safe place. Nowhere else can we go to find the protection that we need when it seems like everything is falling apart. This is what he says in verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior you saved me from violence. Like, do you see as David is in this moment where the circumstances weren't working out in his favor, there was all these trials and pressures, but David was able to say, my God, my rock, my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold, my refuge. Like God was his and he was God's. What kind of song are we singing when life is falling apart? Is God to you a place of safe refuge? When everything is upside down, do you find yourself running towards God for shelter or away from him thinking, God, you don't seem to be working in my favor? In this season of David's life, and David learned a lot in his life about what it means to trust God, right? He's at the end of his life. This isn't just something that he did at the beginning of his life. But David went through a lot as he walked with God, and it was far from easy. In fact, he brought a lot of trouble on himself. But he always knew where to go. He always knew where to rest. Verse 4 says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of Sheol surround me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God, and from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry for help came into his ears. This isn't like a bump in a road. This isn't like David got a letter from the IRS saying, hey, you're going to be audited. And he's like, oh, no, what do I do? Or, oh, gosh, where are my keys at? I'm late for work. Like the language of what he is saying is death is right there. That if it wasn't for God's providential care in his life, David knew that his days were numbered. In fact, 
Those emotions of his heart were so severe that you kind of get a sense of it in the language. But he says, I cried to my God and my cry for help came into his ears. He's not just saying, hey, God, if you got a minute, can I talk to you about a few things going on in my life? There's a heart of desperation. There are tears pouring from his eyes. As he is crying out to God. And many of you know what that's like. To cry tears to God and wonder, God, what are you doing? God, how will you do it? I can't remember exactly where it is. But that promise that God collects all of our tears in a bottle. Like none of them, no tear is ever shed that is wasted. But God hears all of it. And I love the trust that that David has. I cried and God heard. My cry came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling. They were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet and he rode on a cherub and flew and he appeared on the wings of the wind and he made darkness canopies around him, a mass of waters, thick clouds of the sky from the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven and the most high uttered his voice and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of the waters. He delivered me from the strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, there's a lot going on here because a lot of David's enemies were big and mean and aggressive. And sure, David was a good warrior. He was a valiant warrior. He did a lot of wonderful military kind of things. But David's victory wasn't in his ability to to grant victory for himself. David's victory in life over these enemies was his trust in God and to cry out to him as the one who's going to deliver him. And I wonder about me and you when the enemies are around us. Are we crying out in confident trust that God's going to deliver us? And you might say, Pastor, I want to. I I want to have the kind of experience where I see what David saw, that the heavens opened up and the glory of God came rushing down. But I, I haven't seen that in my life. My prayers don't seem to hit the ceiling and go beyond any further. And I would just say to you that God is working for good in your life in the unseen places. And the invitation for the child of faith is to continue to trust that God is working all things together for good for those who love him. So where do we go when we're hurting? Is God 
our safe place. The second theme that we see is that the Lord is our light. We see this in the next 10 or 11 verses of of this song. But especially in verse 29, David declares, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. How many of you have ever been in a dark place? Okay. Like, it might, the, the lights might be on. The sun might be shining. But in your spirit, you don't see a lot of light. Like, you're in those places and those moments and those times when it just seems like I can't even see anything around me. What guarded David's heart as a man after the Lord's heart was this truth that even in the darkest valley, even in the valley of the shadow of death, right? Psalm 23, the same psalm that David wrote, declaring the goodness of the shepherd, that God is a light to him, and that God's presence illumines the darkness around us. Here's the great thing about the goodness of the light that God gives. Darkness flees when God is present. And you're never in a place and you're never so alone when you are trusting Jesus that you're going to be so lost you don't know where to go next. Because when God is with you, And His faithfulness is for you. He will guide you. David trusted in the goodness of the Lord. Now I want to back up just for a second because if you've read this song that David wrote or if you're going to read it later, you're going to read some things and maybe wonder, that doesn't seem exactly true. If you read in verses 21 and following, this is what David says. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God. For all his ordinances were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless towards him and I kept myself From my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Okay, so if you've been with us for any length of time over the last five or six weeks, looking at David's life, do you know David's example to line up with his words here? No. Not for a second. What do we know about David? Well, David sinned terribly by not only coveting another man's wife, but taking that wife, laying with her, and then murdering her husband. And we also know David to be a passionate man, uh, a, a man that was led by his heart. And, and having that heart that was led, he had many wives and concubines, and his family was this fractured community of people that came from him. But they didn't get along. He ignored some for the sake of others. 
And the rest of his days is full of this turmoil in his own family. And I, and I think about these words and I think, is he living in some delusional world? But that's not exactly what he's saying. In fact, what we need to understand when we read these verses about his own understanding of his experience is that David was far from perfect, and he knew that. But he always went back to God, God's way. He didn't try to figure it out on his own and manufacture his own righteousness. David, when confronted by Nathan, confessed his sin, acknowledged it, understood the consequences of it, did not complain and continued to press on in the righteousness that God gave him. And so he's not living in some kind of fantasy world trying to puff himself up, but he understood as a child of God, he received what God provided. And for you as a believer in God, when you mess up, and if you haven't messed up today, you will probably by the end of the day, right? Because that's just what happens. That you don't run from God and try to excuse it, but that you run towards God and you make it right through the blood of Christ. And you confess and you're restored. David's righteousness was not his own righteousness. It was God's righteousness in him. And what a great joy for us as believers to know that we have an alien righteousness in our lives, a foreign righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own, but it is the very righteousness of Christ as we are clothed in his righteousness. That's the promise that God gives to all who place their trust in him. The next theme in this song is found in verses 32 through 33. For David, this was a foundational truth. And for those who place their trust in him, this needs to be our foundational truth, that the Lord is our strength. We read, for who is God besides the Lord and who is a rock besides our God? God is my strong fortress and he sets the blameless in his way. God is the strong one. If you, can, if you ever think, how am I going to get through this? It's an invitation for you to have faith in the strength of God working on your behalf. Here's the thing. Apart from God, you can't get through the trials and tribulations, the frustrations, the upside down nature of a broken world. You cannot do it. You were never meant to do it. There is not enough effort and energy in you to overcome the obstacles of sin in your life. But by grace, God comes to you, invites you, and says, trust me as you rest in my strength to work on your behalf. David was able to rest in the strength of God and God certainly delivered him from his enemies. In fact, we see this in verses 34 and following. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He sets me on the high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. 
You have also given me the shield of your salvation and your help makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and I did not turn back until they were consumed and I have devoured them and shattered them so that they did not rise and they fell under my feet for you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me and I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save even to the Lord but he did not answer them. Then I pulverized them as the dust of the earth. I crushed and stamped them as the mire of the streets. You have delivered me from the contentions of my people. You have kept me as head of the nations. The Lord gave David the strength that he needed to lead victoriously. David understood that as he, as a young man, was facing a giant in Goliath, or as even a little bit down the road, as a national hero was running from King Saul and living in a foreign land and facing enemies all around him. And then he assumed the throne, and, and yet the contentions didn't stop because there were still enemies around Israel. That every step of David's life, he trusted in the strength of God. And God helped him find victory over his enemies. I wonder for us if we know that the Lord is our strength. And then finally, in the last few verses, we see that the Lord is our hope. The final two verses of this song say this. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. He is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. David had a sure hope of what God was going to do. That God's promises, especially the promise in 2 Samuel 7 to establish his throne, it was going to last And it wasn't going to be shaken. And these promises to show loving kindness to his anointed, to the set apart one, was going to be to David and his descendants forever. Now, for a while in Israel's history moving forward, they may look back at this promise and say, that doesn't seem to be working out. Because when you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, You begin to see that the nation crumbled into idolatry more and more. And eventually God stepped in and he judged the nation and he said, listen, there's going to be nations that come in after you as a sign of judgment in my hands and they're going to take you away into captivity. And many in Israel may read these words and say, David, are you sure you believed these things because they don't seem to be happening? But some a thousand years after David wrote these words, God kept his promise and he sent his son, Jesus, from the root of Jesse. And that son, the king, set up his eternal kingdom. And by his grace, Jesus sent an invitation out to every person in the world to come follow him. And when we follow him, And join him by faith. We enter into his kingdom. And we receive the blessing that God promises all of his children for eternity.
that David can walk through the trouble of his life with confidence because he knows the Lord is faithful. Even when the circumstances of life brought trouble, David rested in the goodness of God. Even when David's sin derailed his life, God's truth guided him home. David was able to sing a song of praise to God because the Lord never abandoned him. The Lord stayed close as he was a place of safety, as he was a light in the darkness, as he was a source of strength, and as he offered unwavering hope. What about you? Who do you know the Lord to be when you face trials and tribulations? Who is the Lord for you when life is not working out? What do you believe about God when the circumstances of life are seemingly crushing you? When you are asking, when you are praying, when you are begging, when you are crying out to God, What do you believe about God in those moments? Oh, that I pray you see a heavenly father who is steadfast and true. One who delights in you. One who loves you without measure. I pray that you see in your deepest afflictions, God's grace is always enough for you. The Apostle Paul experienced a similar season in life as David experienced. And there was a time in Paul's life when he begged God to answer his prayers. He begged that the Lord would intervene. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what Paul writes. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And let's just take a second and consider that word implore. This isn't just a simple ask. Paul's saying, hey God, if you feel like it, can can you remove this trouble? No, the word implore means he begged. He was on his knees before God. Much like with David with tears. He is before God begging with angst. Will you please remove this trouble? Have you ever been there before? Maybe some of you are there right now. What did Paul learn? And he, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, right? Most gladly, Like from angst to gladness, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, you don't get there overnight. But you get there by God's grace. It was in his trials that Paul realized that because of the weakness experienced, he truly was strong. See, it's when we realize we are unable that we cry to the one who is able. 
And when we rest in Him, we are able to make it through. God will always meet you with the grace that you need to make it through. Even in the moments that seem to crush you, God's grace is more than sufficient. And when God does work in your behalf, you will be able to rest in Him more and more. Let's pray.